Um, this evening's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 5. Uh, we're reading verses 21 to 43. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 816. So that's Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We're on? That's great. Let me, let me pray as we come to God's word. Father God, I just pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in, in your sight through Jesus. Amen. It strikes me how school lunches have changed over time. Um, I grew up with three brothers, uh, and every day of my school life, which I can remember, we had Vegemite and cheese sandwiches. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but... Uh, we had this ritual on Sunday nights where we'd make the sandwiches for the week that was to come. So that was, we had three sandwiches per boy, uh, so that made 12 sandwiches per day, 60 sandwiches in a week. So Sunday night we'd make 60 cheese and Vegemite sandwiches. We'd bag those babies up and put them in the freezer, and then each day we'd get our little collection and go off to school. Now, I now have two daughters. They're both uh, well, they're 18 and 22. They've finished school. But uh, when they first started school, I made lunch for them. But in about first grade, they sacked me because cheese and, <laughs> cheese and Vegemite didn't, didn't cut it. 
they were part of beautiful, multicultural Sydney, right? So they'd been exposed to all these delicacies from around the world. So I'd walk into the kitchen, and I'd smell these extraordinary smells. I'd ask the girls, what, what is it you're making today? And they'd say stuff like, Dad, just a little bit of grilled chicken uh, on udon noodles, or uh, a little bit of... Uh, a bed of couscous with a little bit of beef, you know, or, or a nourish bowl. I don't even know what a nourish bowl is. Does anyone else know? Yeah? <laughs> but it made me think this, even though food has become much more fancy, there was something really special about the sandwich. It's like food with handles, right? You can, it's got this simple format, A, B, A, and you can knock it back and then get into handball or whatever it is you want to do at playgroup. Now, when it comes to the Gospel of Mark, you find out that, that Mark loves a good sandwich, right? He, he loves telling a story in this A-B-A pattern. Um, he starts telling a story about Jesus, and then you get into it a little bit, and then it stops, and he starts telling another story about Jesus. Then he finishes that, and then he comes back to the original story about Jesus. And it's a common way that Mark tells us a story. And scholars believe the reason he puts two stories together like this is, he, is because the stories say much more together than they would say on their own. So one writer called Tom Wright says this, the flavor of the outer story adds zest to the inner one and the taste of the inner one uh, is meant to in turn permeate the outer one. So tonight we're looking at one of those sandwich stories where we have the story of Jairus and his daughter. It begins, and then it's interrupted, and then we have this story about this, this hemorrhaging woman, and then we return to the story of Jairus and his daughter. And what I want to suggest to you tonight, just the three things that I saw as I thought about this scripture, was the first point is how Jesus is with us on the worst of days. The second is how Jesus makes room for people on the margins. And thirdly, how the poor can become our teacher or discipler. So let's, let's look at this first point, this idea that Jesus is with us on the worst of days. Look at verse 21 to 23 with me. It says there, When Jesus had gone uh, again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus has been on the other side of the lake in a Gentile region called the Gerasene that was full of unclean Gentiles. And in this unclean region was a whole bunch of unclean pig farms, right? And Jesus could be found there in this place of the dead in a cemetery, which was another place of potential contamination for a rabbi. And then we find out he actually meets and encounters a man who has a hundred unclean spirits in him. Right, and an extraordinary story, Jesus... Um, in his lordship, expels the demons into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run off the edge of the cliff to their, to their death. And those who live in that place are so unsettled by not only seeing these pigs rush off a cliff, but by seeing Jesus' power, and now this man in his right mind sitting at Jesus' feet, that they're afraid of Jesus. So they plead with him to leave the area. 
And although Jesus is the Son of God, uh, the face of God revealing the face of the Father, he does this incredible thing. He honours their request. He, he leaves. He leaves them with the witness and the testimony of this man who's now in his right mind. But Jesus the Lord actually honours their request and he leaves and he goes to the other side of the lake. Then he arrives on the other side of the lake and in contrast to being asked to leave, this time he's welcomed by a huge crowd, a large crowd pushing against him. And emerging from this crowd is a man who has significance and a name. We, we meet Jairus, who's the synagogue ruler or the synagogue president, a respected man in his community who's named, who's important. But on this particular day, that importance, that name, that reputation doesn't mean anything. Because on this particular day, his little daughter uh, is, lies precar precariously on the edge of death. So, so Jairus drops his pride. He emerges from this crowd. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he begs Jesus to come with him to his house and to go into her room to touch her so that she might be healed, so that she might live. He's in one of those foundation-rocking moments of his life. And the truth is, I don't know about you, but there's this temptation as human beings to spend our life trying to build a name and a reputation, or a career, or to be known, or to be famous, to build our security on the things of this world. But then in life has this way of interrupting that process, doesn't it? We're only ever an illness away. Uh, a job loss away, getting kicked out of our group away from these moments in our lives that rock the very foundations of us. And suddenly we realise all that energy we've put into getting a name and an important role suddenly doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't meet our deepest needs. We not only discover this um, individually, we've discovered it as churches, haven't we, that we spend a lot of time controlling things and programming things and along comes a pandemic, you know, and suddenly we rock to our foundation, to our core. Now what happens at these points in our lives when, when we're having the very worst of our, our days like Jairus? Does God really care? You know, is he approachable? Is he interruptible? Well, in verse 24, we find out Jesus' response so even though he's the son of God on a mission from God, of the utmost importance, verse 24 says that Jesus responds to Jairus four words. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus went with him. On the very worst day of his life, he discovers that Jesus goes with him. And I think this story has something to say to you and I, that on the very worst day of our life, whether that's already happened to you or it's in your future, there will be a moment when your foundations are rocked. And on that day, as you turn to Jesus, you will find that he is interruptible, he is approachable, and he will go with you. So Jairus and Jesus set out on this journey to Jairus' house. But it seems we get an interruption that even though Jairus is really important, he's named and he's significant, right? 
he's pushed to the margin of this story. Like he's pushed to the sideline. And we read in verse 24, it says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And there was a woman there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So Jairus is pushed to the side and to the center stage comes this woman who's the opposite of Jairus. Like she, she's nameless. We don't know her name. And then we find out she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Something that made her ceremonially unclean. So she couldn't participate in the life of worship at the temple. No doubt it separated her from community. Uh, and then we find out it made her materially poor. Like she spent all she had on doctors. But there was no cure and she had no money left. And we just get this glimpse in this moment of the nature of poverty and how often it works in someone's life, this ecosystem of things come together where it's socially, materially, spiritually, they come together to mar someone's identity. And that's what's happened for this woman. But as we look closely at this story, we not only find out she's someone who's vulnerable and poor and marginalised, we find out there's more to her. There's perhaps capacity and perhaps a story of faith, if we look closely. Look closely with me at verse 27 and 28. It says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I just wanted to look at this little phrase, when she heard Jesus. Um, Mark chapter 5 comes up after Mark chapter 4, right? And Mark chapter 4 is all about how you listen to Jesus. Like the difference between the crowd and as a, a disciple is the way you listen to Jesus. Uh, Jesus will say things, let they that have ears, let them hear. And then in Mark chapter 4, 20, it talks about someone who hears the word of God and accepts it will produce a crop, right? So it really matters how we hear and respond to God's word. So here in Mark chapter 5, we have a woman who hears about Jesus, about his character. And it gives her hope and it stirs her to action. She's someone who hears and does something. So we, we find out that this is what happens in response to her faith in verse 29. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Right, so in this moment, she's got what she wanted. Like, she's got her healing. Uh, she's been healed physically. And I reckon she's probably happy to get away living her life now the way she's always lived it, to be insignificant, to be unknown, to be unimportant. So she hopes to sneak away. But Jesus won't have it. Jesus says this. He said, um, verse 32, it says, At once Jesus, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Well, the disciples, we find out in Luke's gospel, it's actually Peter says, You know, this people, this people squashing us. Like, it's like a mosh pit here, right? There's people everywhere, and you ask us, Who touched us or who touched me? And Jesus responds to Peter, as he often does, he just ignores him, right? 
And he, he asks the question again, who touched me? Now at this point, the woman's terrified because she wants to be incognito. She doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want to be on center stage. But Jesus has asked, Who's, who touched me? And she, she knows she's caught. She knows she's known. She knows the, the secret's out. So she falls before Jesus' feet. In verse 33, it says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So she falls before Jesus' feet, and she's so frightened. She's physically shaking. You know, she doesn't know how this story is going to end. We've, we've done the Bible reading, so we know how it ends. But she doesn't know if the crowd's going to kick her away once they find out an unclean woman has approached a rabbi. She doesn't know if they're going to throw rocks at her. She doesn't know if Jesus is going to tell her off. But what she does is amazing. She, in this moment, tells her story. She's brought to center stage, and she talks about the journey of her life. She talks about how desperate she was. She talks about how ill she was, how isolated she was, how broken she was. And she talked about you know, her, her journey of how determination to get to Jesus, who could make a difference in her life. And there before the whole crowd that day, she then began to testify, give her testimony of what Jesus had done for her that day. So she tells her whole story, right? Again, she doesn't know how this is going to end. And in verse 34, we finally get Jesus' response. Like, how does he respond to a woman like this? In verse 34, we get this beautiful phrase. He said to her, daughter. He calls her daughter, this woman who thought she was nothing. She didn't want to be seen. She finds out here that she's a daughter of the king. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So he not only heals her body, he gives her a whole new identity as a child of God. See, this story has these beautiful parallels. It starts off with this father who's, who's got this sick little girl um, and, and he's so desperate to get help that he's prepared to, to make a fool of himself, make a scene in front of all these people to get Jesus come, to come and help him. But parallel to this story is, is our father in heaven who has a broken daughter, like who needs to be restored and made whole. And Jesus is prepared to put her at the front of the story and make a scene to announce to the world that she is indeed his daughter. Jayakuma Christian wrote this beautiful book um, called God of the Empty-Handed. And he described what was going on in this story like this. He said, Jesus enabled the vulnerable to lift their heads and hold them high to recognize their own dignity, to begin to see themselves in a new light. And after their encounter with Jesus, they are transformed into people who know themselves to be God's children. What a beautiful moment. There's room in this story for people just like this woman. And it's impossible just not to notice on a night like tonight, on a night of a baptism. We've had the stories of Liz and Dean and Noah, 
as they've told the stories of their faith. Just for a night, I don't know how hard that was for them. I don't know if they love public speaking. But their story has been brought to us all, their story of their encounter with Christ. And you know, here in Mark 5, it's almost an anticipation of what will happen in Mark 15 and 16 when we get to the end of the story. And so there's connections with some of these themes, this theme of Jesus going into places of uncleanliness. At the end of the gospel, we find Jesus walking into a sea of human evil and sin and uncleanness. He wades into human sin. He's handed over into the hands of men to be crucified for their sin. And we find in that very act that Jesus is actually making room for us. And the way he makes room for us, because of sin, we were meant to be excluded and separated from God because of the rupture we'd caused in our relationship with God and one another. But what happens in the gospel is this beautiful thing where Jesus, the Son of God, is excluded from Jerusalem. He's taken away from the temple and the city of God and he's taken outside of the city and crucified as an outsider, a death that was beneath the Roman, a death that was seen to be cursed in the eyes of the Jews. But Jesus was excluded. He, he chose that path so that you and I in the gospel could be included. When he dies on the cross, he pays for your and my sin so that we might be invited back into this story. And as we repent, as we turn back to Christ, as we trust him as Saviour and Lord, we find out that we are a child of God. That's the beautiful invitation in the Gospel, and that's a beautiful invitation that is given every time there's a baptism. Tonight could be the night that you are reminded and you come alive to the reality that in Jesus is a welcome into God's story. The beautiful thing about this story, as we go on, is there's a, there's a place for you and I in our local context. There's, there's the importance that we proclaim the gospel to the gyruses of this world who have a name and a significance and they have precious families. But it's really important that we have to keep in mind and front and centre when we're thinking about our priorities as individuals and as churches, the needs of the whole world, the needs of the marginalised and the insignificant and the poor like this woman. And can I just say, Nawi Baptist Church does this, like 162 child partners, that's phenomenal. But every single disaster appeal that we've done over the last two and a half years, people from Nawi have given to. So as, as COVID kind of raged across South Asia, remember that when it was raging through India and Nepal and into Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, you guys gave. Um, when the war in Russia uh, invited Ukraine and, and we found out that, you know, there's over 2,000 Baptist churches in Ukraine. There's Baptist brothers and sisters, and they started to respond to their own people by providing basic food supplies. Um, they gave basic hygiene products, and the Baptist churches across Ukraine became these little centers of help and aid and hope to their own people, and they continue to to this day. And people from Nawi gave to that. You know, as 
as old standing conflicts like the Syrian civil war led people to flee Syria uh, and went to a place like Lebanon when one in four people in Lebanon is a Syrian refugee. Extraordinary, right? But you guys gave to that as well. You've, you give to people on the margins. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that, to be a people of open hands and not the tight fist. So Jesus makes room for people on the margins. And the last thing I think this passage has to say to us tonight encourages us to walk with the poor. See, when we walk with the poor and the marginalised and the vulnerable, both of us are transformed. Now, walking with the poor is a, is a chance to give and to bless and to be generous, to become more like God, to be genuine image bearers who reflect the justice and love of God to all of humanity. But it's also a chance to learn and grow and be inspired and taught as you walk with the poor. So you get a hint of why these two stories are placed together in verse 35, which says this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. See, there, here is this moment of testing for Jairus. See, his daughter is dead, right? And people are saying to him, why, why keep bothering the teacher? Why keep bothering God with your problems? It's too far gone. Or on the other hand, you've got Jesus saying, just just believe. And in a sense, we all throw in this test sometimes in our life, aren't we? Life circumstances come that test us. We feel the same temptation or the same voice calling us saying, why bother Jesus anymore? Like, why be a God botherer? But then we have this other voice saying, just believe. So who will Jairus listen to? What will he do? Will he believe or will he keep, um, stop bothering? What kind of reason does he have to believe? What kind of example does he have? Well, the example that he has of what trust looks like, what belief looks like, what faith looks like, is in the story of this nameless, insignificant woman. What kind of faith does Jairus need? What kind of trust does he need? He needs the same kind of faith. He needs the same kind of trust as this nameless, insignificant woman. She testifies to the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, thankfully, as we fast forward this story to verse 41, we find Jesus in a room with Jairus and this sick little girl, and this is what it says. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So here was this man Jairus, this man who was named and was so significant in his community. But he needed the... The, the example of a nameless, insignificant woman to exemplify for him 
what faith and trust look like. And it's this beautiful story about how these two people from very different worlds come together on this journey towards faith and trust and Christ-likeness. See, the approach to the Bible's approach to the vulnerable and marginalized isn't some superior person bending down to help someone who's inferior. It's about one image bearer helping another image bearer become all of what God has called them to be. You know, he calls us, you know, who've been blessed with material things to become more like God as we're reminded that our, our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. To become more like God in his generosity. But as we give, others can flourish. I thought I'd just finish with this one story of how child sponsorship tries to grab this notion of two people walking together towards flourishing, towards shalom. And it's a simple story of a girl named Sri Lee. She became a child partner when she was three. and She's now just graduated high school, so she's 18 years of age. So she's been part of everything, veggie growing classes, school, education, and she's just flourished as a human being, right? So during COVID, she, she was uh, spotted as someone who's potential to help with COVID education. So she would go out and give people lessons in correct use of PPE, hand washing, all that kind of stuff. But she also had become a follower of Jesus. So she was part of a church response to kids not being able to come to church anymore. So she started to teach Sunday school on mobile phones right, in the middle of a Cambodia. Now, this is an, an, an extraordinary story, right? Some of you are here as Sunday school teachers. Some of you uh, go to school and get education on COVID. But hers is a story where God has made a difference. Lai Kai, who's the church mobilization manager of our partner in Cambodia, said this, your partnership encourages us and reminds us that we stand together in God's faith. That's what it's all about, standing together, growing in our relationship with God. So tonight I just wanted to leave you with those three, th- three thoughts, that God is worth you, with you on the worst of days, that Jesus makes room for people on the margins, and as we walk with the poor, they become our teacher. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. Reveal to us in the Lord Jesus Christ for his generosity, his mercy, and his love. Help us to be open to the ways you're shaping and working through us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.